0: Yay! <laughs> so my name is Kat. I'm going to read for us. Our passage today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 16. It's on page 1026 in the Church Bibles. And if anyone wants a Bible, please put your hand up. Beautiful. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since I've already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions in fact when we came to Macedonia we had no rest instead we were troubled in every way conflicts on the outside fears within but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the arrival of Titus and not only by his arrival but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What deep longing. What zeal. What justice. In every way you showed yourself to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who was wronged. But in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. In addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. For if I have made any boast to him about you, I have not been disappointed. But as I have spoken everything to you in truth, So our boasting to Titus has also turned out to be the truth. And his affection towards you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of all of you and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you.
1: Hello everyone. It's great to see us all here this morning. I think the weather does give us a good picture of the things we're looking at today. Uh, It would have been far more comfortable just to stay in bed, rest with the hot chocolate, Uh, and yet it's so much better for us as Christians uh, for us to gather and find true comfort, the comfort that only God can bring. And so it's great that we made it. Uh, I feel for those who can't come today, and we look forward to you being able to join us again soon. Uh, Let's pray as we look at God's Word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can uh, be gathered here today to listen to your word. We pray that you help us all to grow in our knowledge and love for you. uh, Help us to serve you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when times are difficult, what keeps you going? Uh, This has to be a pretty pressing question for our world right now. Uh, There's lots of reasons to grieve, right? We've gone through sickness, uh, there's war, there's floods. It can be hard to just not give in to despair. And on a more personal level, I know there are people here today who've had tough weeks who are struggling, struggling to have the energy to keep going week after week. When times are difficult, what keeps you going? And Last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we saw Paul, and he's just a machine, right? He keeps going no matter what, suffering, persecution, hunger. What is it that keeps Paul going? What is it that keeps a Christian trusting in Christ no matter what? Well, as we look at God's Word today, we'll see that true comfort in the midst of pain and affliction comes from God. God is the one who keeps us going. Are there three things that we'll see about God's comfort today? First, we see God's comfort in affliction. We can have comfort in pain. Next, we see how God provides comfort, and it's often through other Christians. And then thirdly, we'll see that God provides comfort when we see people repenting of their sin. Now, just a quick word uh, on, what, on comfort. Uh, we aren't just talking about comfortable life, about sitting back and relaxing uh, through pain. We're not just talking about the feeling that we have. Uh, we're picking up on how it's been used in chapter 1 when it says that God is the God of all comfort. And it says this, He comforts us in all our affliction so we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Uh, And I think verse 13 of chapter 7 uh, helps us think through what the word comfort means as well. Uh, It says that Titus had his spirit refreshed uh, by the Corinthians. And so when we use the word comfort today, uh, we're meaning this, the encouragement and the refreshment uh, that comes from God, and it helps us to keep following Jesus no matter what. Comfort is an encouragement and a refreshment uh, to keep following Jesus. Uh, so bringing some of this together, we'll look at God's comfort during affliction, God's comfort through others, and God's comfort, comf- God comforts us through a right response to sin. Uh, so first, God's comfort through, uh, during affliction. We can have true comfort during tough times. God's comfort is so strong that even in a worse of times, we can be encouraged to keep persevering. Have a read along with me from verse uh, 2 of chapter 7. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, since I've already said that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm very frank with you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with encouragement. I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Now, this passage flows on uh, from last week. Uh, in fact, um, sometimes as I was reading this passage, I just had to make sure that I was reading the right chapter right because uh, he uses some of the same words. Uh, in chapter 6, Paul reminded them uh, of how much suffering he's he's uh, done for the church. Uh, he's shown that he is trustworthy. And because of this, in chapter 6, verse 13... He says, open your heart to us. And again, here in chapter 7, Paul continues. He says a similar thing. Make room in your hearts for us. Now, by us, it means Paul and his companions, like Titus and Timothy. I think it's a bit of an odd expression. Make room for us in your hearts. What does that actually mean? But Paul does clarify it a bit in verse 3. He says, You are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I think that helps us know what it means to make room for each other in our hearts. When Paul's begging them to make room in their hearts, he's asking them to do what he already does, to suffer and endure for each other, to be willing to preach the gospel even if that means dying and entering eternal life. Do you see how God's comfort, it doesn't mean having a comfortable life. It's suffering and yet still finding joy in God. Paul then clarifies his attitude uh, towards the church. Uh, sometimes when I'm writing an email, I feel like I'm not really clear, so I have to throw like, a smiley face in or remove a few explanation marks. So I, I don't feel like I've gotten the tone right. Uh, and Paul clarifies his attitude as he gives them this instruction. Uh, he says in verse 4, like, he's not angry or upset at the church. Paul is suffering and yet he's full of encouragement. He's overflowing with joy. And he says that this is from God later on. God is providing Paul with comfort during affliction. And so the command isn't coming from a place of anger. He's not just bossy, commanding them what to do. He really loves and cares for the Corinthians. He wants to see them continue to grow. He's encouraged by them. Uh, Now, I reckon we are more prepared to experience pain when we know that there's a payoff for it. Uh, At the end of the last year, I thought about some of my eating habits and I thought, it's a little bit unhealthy. I can get away with it at the moment, but I can't continue. Uh, So, all year, I I haven't eaten at Macca's yet or KFC, uh, persevering yet. Um, uh, I've been trying to cut a little bit of sugar out of my life. I'm doing that because I know that if I keep going, keep persevering, uh, there'll be some kind of payoff. Uh, I wish there was an easier way. Um, I I haven't heard of one, so let me know if there is, but um, I don't think there is. One of the challenges in the passage, though, is that it's actually good to suffer for each other, to have room in our hearts for each other. And this isn't the same thing. It's not short-term pain to get long-term pain, to gain. It's actually suffering, knowing that God is comforting us. The comfort is ongoing, He comforts us during the affliction. We can suffer for each other knowing that God comforts us. We see it here in Paul and we saw it in chapter 1. Chapter 1 said this, God comforts us in all our affliction so we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We can have joy in affliction So there's no reason to avoid suffering for each other. We are to make room in our hearts for each other. I hope you know and I hope you feel the comfort that God provides for his people during tough times. And I hope that knowledge and the feeling that we have motivates us to action, to depend on God's comfort as we suffer for each other and as we keep encouraging each other to, to trust in Christ. As followers of Christ, we suffer for each other and take great comfort in God in the midst of tough times. Well, God comforts us in affliction. That's the first thing we learn about God's comfort here in chapter 7. We then see how God brings our comfort. Uh, He can do it in lots of ways, but the one we're looking at in particular here in this passage is that he comforts us through other Christians. God uses other Christians to encourage us, to refresh us, to keep following Christ. Uh, We see a picture of this as Titus encourages Paul and then also as the Corinthians encourage Titus. Uh, To help us think this through though, we need to remind ourselves of a narrative that began back in chapter 2. See, here in verse 8, Paul mentions a letter. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. Well, what is this letter? Well, it's not one or two Corinthians. This is a different letter. If you flip back to 2 Corinthians for a moment, it's only one page back, if you have a church Bible, Uh, what we see is that the letter, it was a kind of rebuke or correction. There was something wrong and Paul wrote a letter encouraging them to repent. And Titus, he delivered that letter to the Corinthians. Paul has no idea how the Corinthians are going to respond to that. Uh, And so he's really troubled, right? He's distressed in his spirit, he's anxious, Is the church going to listen or are they just going to ignore me, reject me and turn away? It can be so nerve-wracking when you have difficult words to say to someone. You get that feeling that you just don't know how it's going to turn out. And so in chapter 2, verse 12, uh, Paul tells us that when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, uh, even though the Lord opened a door for me, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. And so instead, I said goodbye to them and left Macedonia. Paul Paul was so troubled in his spirit, he gave up a good opportunity. He just didn't have rest in his spirit. He needed to find Titus. How did the church respond? And so Paul goes to Macedonia. And that's where chapter 7 picks up uh, this again. Paul goes to Macedonia and he still uh, has no rest in verse 5. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But then finally, God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. This is a practical example of God's love, how he comforts us through others. The arrival of Titus brings Paul great joy as he finds out, finally, how did the Corinthians respond to the letter. God comforts the downcast, and he comforts us through close companions like Titus and the news that he brought. And we see another example of Christians encouraging each other in verse 13, uh, in the second part of it, of chapter 7. In addition to our own comfort, we rejoice even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. And this comfort language, it goes throughout chapter 7. God uses his people to comfort each other. The, uh, Titus encourages Paul. The Corinthians encourage Titus. It sets the tone for how God works. He comforts us through other Christians. And we know how that feels, right? Uh, we feel it, uh, I hope we feel it often. I think in particular... Um, I think we think back to the moment we came out of lockdown. And the, after spending months apart, after spending time online, it was a long few months. But the joy we had when we came back together and saw each other, it's, it's massive, right? It's, you can't describe it. God brings us great comfort through each other. As we see each other persevering, and as we see each other and keep encouraging each other i think it's similar as well uh, to when we send people overseas and then they come back and it's just so great and so joyful to hear about how god's been at work so great to welcome them again god brings us true comfort through each other now i suspect that's why you made the effort to come today it's more comfortable in bed but we bring comfort to each other but let's enjoy this comfort. Enjoy meeting together. Enjoy the comfort that God gives through his people. Now, what might this look like? I suspect that a lot of us actually know what this looks like. It's a matter of putting it into practice. It might look like uh, just checking in with someone you haven't checked in with for a while, asking about how life is going. It's asking how people are going in their relationship with God. Galatians chapter 6 is a helpful summary, uh, of verse 2. It says we carry each other's burdens. It's not easy to live in a world broken by sin. We know the temptations that await us back at home, uh, at work, even as we gather. And we need each other to get through it, to carry each other's burdens. God uses others, and so enjoy uh, the comfort that others bring. I want you to think back for a moment to a time where you've been comforted uh, by another Christian. Think back. It might have been this morning as you saw someone at the welcoming desk. It might be a little bit further back. Just reflect on that moment because I think that's what helps us remember this. That's what helps us to keep persevering. Remember the refreshment that it gave you to keep going. Uh, My mind goes back uh, to the comfort I received uh, a little while ago, uh, having a tough week, uh, and someone asked how I was going. Uh, And it was refreshing that they listened. It was refreshing that they encouraged me, and it gave me true comfort. It did help me uh, and made the week easier. Even though the pain wasn't gone, it was comforting to know that someone had taken an interest. And the follow-up during the week, uh, it was really helpful. It was just what I needed. It was the comfort that helped me keep going. I hope you remember the moments that God has comforted you through other Christians. And I hope that as we gather regularly, that we we keep encouraging each other and keep refreshing each other. Uh, If you can't remember a time that you've experienced God's comfort, uh, let me encourage, uh, through others, let me encourage you today, when someone has asked you how your week has been, to be vulnerable and honest. Uh, And if it doesn't happen, walk up to someone and ask them how their relationship with Christ is going. Let's be vulnerable and uh, enjoy the comfort uh, that we can have from others. And I hope that you've registered for Weekend Away, because that's going to be a really great time of encouraging each other and continuing uh, to find joy uh, with each other. Well, we can overflow with joy in affliction as God comforts us through other Christians. The last point explores this a little bit more. How how do we actually comfort each other? Now, there are lots of ways we can do it. Uh, Kind words. uh, We can uh, do practical ways of loving each other. Uh, I think, you know, when someone rocks up after a really tough week of uh, telling people about Christ and just being persecuted, it's great for us to encourage each other and say, just keep going. Keep trusting in Christ. Keep finding our joy in Him. Uh, But there are other times when... uh, we actually need to be corrected because uh, our week has been full of giving into sin. And our response to that is different, right? We don't just say, oh, that's all right, just keep going. Sometimes we'll actually need to correct someone and help them to see uh, that they need to repent. And that's what this passage, that's the type of comfort that this passage zooms into today, which is so wild we'll look at that. God comforts us as we see each other repenting of sin. When Paul finds Titus, he finds out how the Corinthians went on. Paul wrote the letter to rebuke them and correct them. Uh, And it's really great news. The Corinthians did repent. God comforted Paul by the news of the Corinthians. They responded rightly to their sin. They repented. Uh, Now, Paul could have skipped a lot of pain. Uh, I think I would be tempted to do this and just not send the letter. Uh, But verse 12 makes it clear. He sent the letter for their sake. Uh, So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong, or because of the one who was wronged, but in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. He wrote the letter for their sake, uh, so that they may mature in their faith. Now what this means is that when we say comforting each other, we don't just mean ignoring sin. Let me comfort you by saying that your sin is perfectly fine, just keep on going. We don't do that. We do quite the opposite. God comforts us through people growing in Christ and standing firm for Him. And part of that is lovingly correcting each other and being comforted when we see people responding rightly to that. Now, I think there's normally two ways that we normally respond uh, when we're corrected. Uh, We can either just reject it, ignore it, make excuses or just deny it. Verse 10 calls this a worldly grief on the other hand we can listen and show true repentance uh, which is the much harder option but verse 10 calls this godly grief a quick word on grief i think it's used uh, in a lot of different contexts these days but here it's for specific grief Uh, it's for sadness we feel about sin it's right uh, after sinning to feel sad that we've disobeyed god But it's what we do with that sadness that's important. That's the difference between a worldly grief and a godly grief. So first, what does it mean to have a worldly grief? It often looks like regretting the effects of sin on our own life and just leaving it there. So it might look like I regret stealing because now I have to pay it back. I regret gossiping about someone because now my life's harder because I found out and now my relationships are just ruined. I hate the last in my life, because I'm just worried about what it's going to do to me and my relationships. A world of grief, it regrets the effect of sin on our own life, and that's as far as it gets. It doesn't worry about what God thinks about our sin. It's full of excuses, denying, denying the sin, or even just letting the guilt bottle up and not doing anything about it. Ultimately, this grief is useless. The sin is not dealt with because it ignores God. Worldly grief takes God out of the equation and it only worries about ourselves. And the stakes of this are incredibly high. It can't be higher. Have another look at verse 10. What does worldly grief lead to? Worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death. Jesus saves us from our sin, but that doesn't give us an excuse to keep on sinning. That's receiving God's grace in vain, as verse, uh, chapter five, uh, 6 warns us against. If you don't acknowledge that your sin is against God and you're not willing to repent, then it leads to death. That's a worldly grief. And I hope that types of, type of grief sickens you i hope you avoid that type of grief so what does it mean to respond with a godly grief a godly grief in response to sin it regrets sinning against god and it leads to repentance we recognize that we've sinned against god and we turn away from our sin we change how we live our lives we see the importance of repentance in both verse 9 and 10 A godly grief regrets sinning against God and it leads to repentance. So it might look like this. I regret stealing and I'm sorry to God because that's not how he expects us to live as followers of Jesus. I regret gossiping and I'm sorry to God because that's not how he expects us to live our lives. And I hate the last in my life because I am sorry to God because that's not how he expects us to live for Jesus. A godly grief it regrets sinning against God, and leads to repentance. Now it's never easy to be uh, told you've been doing the wrong thing, uh, to be told about sin. It does lead to seed sadness and grief, but it's what we do with that grief that's important. And God uses godly grief to grow us. You see the immediate effects of this uh, in verse eleven. Verse 11 says "For the godly grieving has resulted in diligence. They've grown in their rejection of sin and in their desire for God. That's massive. In their desire for justice. And more than that, God uses this situation to comfort Titus and to comfort Paul. The effects of a godly grief are massive. But more than that, more than just uh, immediate effects, they're eternal effects. Verse 10 makes it clear that this type of godly grief leads to salvation. No one is saved by being perfect all the time. The Bible is clear that time and time again, for everyone's sins falls short of God's glory. And a godly grief recognises that we do all sin and that the only way to be saved is by God's grace. God forgives us even though we don't deserve it. Godly grief, which expresses itself as repentance, is the only way to respond to sin, the only true way to respond to sin. It's a mark of someone who has truly repented and trusts in Jesus. We don't need to cover up our sin. We don't need to hide it away. We know that we all mess up. And what's important isn't just feeling sad about it, but responding to God, repenting and living for him. It's sad to hear when someone gives in to temptation again. And yet it's so comforting when we hear stories of people uh, uh, repenting and deciding to follow Christ. Now, there's lots of ways uh, we could apply this to our lives. I just want to focus on just two. Reflect on your own response to sin and being humble and ready to have sin corrected. So first, reflect on your own response to sin. Do you respond with a worldly grief or with a godly grief? This is a big question. Do you respond with a worldly grief and just worry about yourself? Or do you respond with a godly grief and apologise to God? We don't have to hide our sin from God. We couldn't even do that if we tried. But we have assurance that those who repent and believe in Him are already forgiven. And Psalm 51, it gives us a good picture of godly grief. Uh, Let me read a couple of verses to help us see uh, how we can be responding to sin in our own life. You might want to read it afterwards or encourage each other afterwards with it. Uh, The first four verses of Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Reflect on the sin in your own life. And I hope that you will respond with a godly grief. Number two, it's important to have humility and a readiness to have sin corrected. When someone lovingly corrects our sin, I think we need to work hard at listening to that. We need to, we need to hear them because sin is serious, and, the, and our response to sin is serious. There have been plenty of times where I've been rebuked or uh, questioned, and it's easy just to dismiss it, just to get angry at the person uh, and just ignore them. I think that's why we find it hard to actually uh, correct each other sometimes. So it's important that we pray for humility and are prepared to listen. Now, there's also an important place for correcting each other. But I think it's important that as we uh, apply the passage, that we focus on taking the log out of our own eye and having humility and readiness to have our own sin corrected. And as we do that, we can be an encouragement to each other as God works in us to to provide comfort from each other. There would be too much to say if we spoke about how to lovingly correct someone. And so let's, uh, So I'm not, we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on having humility as people come to us and help us correct the sin in our life. There's a lot more we could say on that. We've only just scraped the surface. Sin really is messy. And it affects our relationships so much. And So how good is it that despite our messiness, God does actually choose to use us to bring encouragement to each other, to bring true comfort to each other, and to help us refresh each other and encourage each other to keep going. God truly is remarkable to be able to use sinful people like me, like us, to bring comfort to each other. So let's keep serving each other, suffering for each other, and overflow with the encouragement that comes from trusting in God and His grace. Look to God for true comfort, to keep going no matter what, as He refreshes and encourages encourages us through other Christians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for You are the God of all comfort. Thank You that through Christ we can have true forgiveness and reconciliation with You. Father, please help us to find our joy in You Please help us to continue to encourage each other to find our comfort in you and your people. And, Father, please help us have humility and be prepared to listen to others. Help us to respond to our sin with a godly grief. In Jesus' name, amen.